0: Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul. I'm part of the leadership here uh, this morning. And it's great to have you here. And um, I I hope that um, you've perhaps been catching some of these talks online. If you haven't had a chance to do that, you're joining us partway through our series on the book of Esther um, that's in the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be looking at Esther chapter 6. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And just though, if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. I've got it coming up on the screen uh, behind me. The place is ancient Persia. I've even got a map for you. And uh, it's a massive superpower of the day, and uh, we're in the court of King Xerxes, uh, who's a ruthless tyrant at that time. At uh, the time it is around 470 BC, that kind of neck of the woods, and uh, God's people are under threat uh, from the scheming nobleman, Haman. And he's wanting to pass a law to have all the Jews across the whole empire executed, and he's just built a gallows as Wendy shared with us last week to hang his arch enemy the man of god Mordecai who so wants to get him out of the way so he can carry on with his process of eradicating the jews however Mordecai who's already uncovered one plot against the king and hasn't been thanked for it Mordecai has managed to persuade queen Esther who's a jew to try and help save The Jewish nation. And she's throwing dinner parties in order to get the king's ear and try and turn the tide in the favor of God's people. Now, at this point in the story, from the outside, it looks like everything hangs in the balance for the people of God. It's as if everything could go one way or the other. But God has been lining up a series of coincidences in order to protect his people. So that's the story so far. Should we pick it up from there? And I'm going to read. chapter 6. I've chosen to read it from the message because I think that just helps uh, get the gist of the story slightly better. So I'm going to start at verse 1. So if you want to read it through with me, it'll come up on the screen. It goes like this. That night, the king couldn't sleep. He ordered the record book, the day-by-day journal of events, to be brought and read to him. They came across the story there about the time that Mordecai had exposed the plot Abikthana and Teresh, great names for prospective parents and looking for children's names, Um, two royal eunuchs who guarded the entrance and who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Just press the pause button for a moment there. So what's happening is the king can't sleep, and this is the equivalent of him getting one of his servants to come and read the telephone directory in order to help him nod off to sleep, okay? Except that of the 12 years of Xerxes' reign... The the assistant chooses to read this one episode, this one moment, one day, where Mordecai has saved Xerxes from an assassination attempt. Coincidence. The king asked, what great honor was given to Mordecai for this? Nothing, replied the king's servants who were in attendance. Nothing has been done for him. The king said, is there anybody outside in the court? Now, Haman had just come into the outer court of the king's palace to talk to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows that had been built for him. Another coincidence. The king's servant said, Haman is out there waiting in the court. Bring him in, said the king. When Haman entered, the king said, what would be appropriate for the man the king especially wants to honor? Haman thought to himself, he must be talking about honoring me. Who else? Shows his arrogance. So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, do this. Bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crown on its head. Then give the robe and the horse to to one of the king's most noble princes. Have him robe the man whom the king especially wants to honor. Have the prince lead him on horseback through the city square, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. Go and do it, said the king to Haman. And this is where Haman's about to have a bad day. Don't waste another minute. Take the robe and the horse and do what you have proposed to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Don't leave out a single detail of your plan. Wouldn't you pay a lot of money to have seen Haman's... <laughs> he, he's having a bad day at the office, okay? Um, so Haman took the robe. I, just, I bet his face looked like he was chewing a lemon. He rode Mordecai and led him through the city square, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman fled to his house thoroughly mortified, hiding his face. When Haman had finished telling his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his knowledgeable friends who were there and his wife Zeresh said, if this Mordecai is in fact a Jew, one of God's people, your bad luck has only just begun. You don't stand a chance against him. You're as good as ruins. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman off to the dinner that Esther had prepared. I just love that story. I love the way God organizes the chain of events, where he lines up coincidences for his purposes. So this is our passage here this morning, and from this passage, as I was praying and thinking it through, I've really just got two points for us here this morning, two things I wanted to draw out of this wonderful little story for us today. And the two points go like this, I've got some good news for you this morning, that's one point, point. and the second point is I've got some bad news for you this morning. So what I thought I would do in the spirit of democracy is I thought I would ask you what you would rather hear first. Would you rather hear the bad news and get that out of the way, or would you rather have the good news and start off on a good, good note? So I'm going to do a vote, yeah, in true democratic style. So all of you who would rather hear the good news first, you want to raise a hand in the air. Okay, brilliant, about, about seven of you. Um, all of you pessimistic, glass-half-empty people who would rather hear the bad news first, raise a hand in the air. Brilliant, excellent, thank you very much. Well, what's actually happened is our visuals team have done a quick ta- count and done the maths on it, and they've discovered that 78% of you actually wanted to hear uh, the bad news first. Um, I learned everything I know about the democratic process from FIFA, so um, it's all gone very, very smoothly. Uh, our lawyers are going to be busy with that one anyway. Okay. All right, so we're going to start with the bad news. Let's get that out of the way first, shall we? We're going to give you the bad news um, from this story. Here's the bad news. The bad news is this passage shows us that God sees everything. God sees absolutely everything. He sees every little detail of our lives. Haman acts and plots in the shadows. He plans the genocide of the Jews. Uh, Through cunning and scheming, he deceives the king. But he cannot deceive the king of kings. He thinks he's about to be honoured and he's going to have pride of place to wear the royal robes and ride this horse with a crown on it. But his plan backfires. Why? Because God sees everything. The message is we cannot hide from God, people. We cannot hide from God. Jesus said this in Luke 12, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. That's scary, isn't it? And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the housetops. What's done in secret will come out. It's just a question of when. Uh, I remember um, one time as a kid when I was, I guess it would have been about 10 or 11. Um, I was playing with my cousins uh, out in the backyard. My parents had a shop, and they had a flat above the shop, and there was this backyard where cars were parked and so forth. And my dad's van was there, and I was uh, playing with my friends, and with my cousins and my brother, and uh, the van was open. And in dad's van, we were rummaging around, we came across dad's high-powered air rifle. Um, now, um, we knew that we were not meant to touch the air rifle, but you do the maths. Uh, four boys, zero children, and one gun. You just know what's going to happen. So, so what we did is, is we started uh, passing it around, and my cousin started first, and we would pretend that we'd be shooting this gun. And so uh, one of my, my oldest cousin, he pointed at the wall and pulled the trigger and it went click, and my other cousin, he, he got the gun, pointed at the fence, aimed it, pulled the trigger, and it went click. And then they passed the gun to me, To this day, I do not know what I did that was different to them, Uh, but I got hold of the rifle, and I thought, well, point it at a wall or a fence, that's boring, isn't it? What would be much better would be to have a live target. Um, So I looked around, and because it was a flat above the shop, there was a large glass window to our lounge upstairs, and I saw my mum and dad chatting together. (laughs) And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll aim it at my dad. And so I got hold of the rifle, looked through the sights, pointed and aimed it at my dad's head. I then pulled the trigger, except this time the gun didn't make a click. It made a noise that I only now could describe as, as if it was air, escaping from an air gun in that moment. So it made this louder noise, and we looked at one another, and everybody slightly panicked, and we stuffed the gun back in the van, thinking, "Phew, I'm glad that's out of the way. We're not going to go back there. We'd get in real trouble if anybody found out what we'd done. A few minutes later, maybe half an hour or so, I went um, back upstairs to the lounge and uh, wanted to get a drink and that kind of thing. And as I walked into the living room, there to greet me were both my mum and my dad. Um, I think in the moment, as I reflect on it, my my dad looked a little paler than normal. Um, And... um, they said, to me, they said to me, you've been messing around with your dad's air rifle, haven't you? And I had to say yes, because it turns out that what had happened is I'd actually managed to fire a ball bearing from the air rifle. It had passed through the lounge window, and the ball bearing had hit my dad on the temple, a millimetre or two to the left, and it would have hit his eye. And... I think through the passage of time, you've forgiven me now, haven't you, Dad? So yeah, he's <laughs> nodding He's nodding at me. But some of you out there, you're thinking, gosh, that's terrible, what an awful thing to do. Meanwhile, others of you are thinking, hey, that was actually a pretty good shot. Um, in, which case, in which case, shame on you, there's going to be opportunity to repent later. Now, now, I don't know what the family was like that you grew up in. I don't know how strict it was in your household. But in my family, shooting your dad in the head with a gun was somewhat frowned upon. Um, we looked down on that, so we had to have a little chat about it. But I remember it now, standing there, and my dad's got the ball bearing in the palm of his hand. Fortunately, passing through the glass had taken the force out of the ball, but I'll never forget standing there in front of both my mum and dad. I was undone by my actions. I had no defence left. I remember another time um, Emma and I went to visit um, another church and um, we were just in the congregation um, and uh, partway through the worship time um, someone got hold of the microphone and um, they gave this very unhelpful prophetic word that they thought they'd heard from God and I really questioned whether or not it was. And I I sat there next to Emma and I I, I leant across to where Emma and I said, "I, I can't believe it. Why do they let this guy say these things from the front? Who on earth's given him the mic to say this? They should cut the feed to the mic straight away. This is so unhelpful and not biblical and not, not godly. And, and I said, it's all right, darling. It's all right. Don't worry. Let them handle it. At the end of the worship time, and uh, we were encouraged to uh, turn around and greet people who were around us, um, we turned around to say hi to the couple who were behind us. And um, they leaned forward and uh, they shook us by hand and said, hi, we're so-and-so. And the, the guy said, um, uh, hi, I'm so-and-so, and and i am actually one of the elders um, from this church. By the way, thank you so much for your helpful insights into the way that we should handle worship here. Um, that was very helpful, what you had to say. And I felt my face flush, and I was like, oh, I wish the ground would swallow me up. Once again, I was undone by my actions. What I'd whispered in secret to my wife had been overheard and exposed. Moments like that air rifle and talking about someone behind their back and dissing the church I was in. Moments like that, I believe, are just a foretaste of what's to come. You see, Haman thinks he's clever. He thinks he's won. But God sees everything. Do you realize that God sees everything about our lives? The bad news, he's seen every judgmental comment you've made. He's seen every selfish choice every destructive outburst, every adulterous thought, every website you've viewed, every relationship choice you've made, and every tax return you've ever filed. He sees it all. And one day, the sobering news is we will be called to give an account for what we've done and how we've lived. Romans 14. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Hebrews. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. God sees Haman and there's a calling to account. Sometimes that judgment comes in this life, sometimes it comes in the next. But nothing goes unseen by God. Of course, every single one of us has done things that we cannot defend. You know, you may not have shot your dad in the head with a gun, which I admit is a bad thing, but I bet you've assassinated someone's character at some point or another. We're guilty as charged and utterly defenseless. The only solution is to have someone take our place, to take the punishment for us. That's why we need Jesus. Ephesians says this, In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. If you don't know Jesus here this morning, can I encourage you with all my heart, get right with God this morning. Because he sees everything. We've got a whole team of people, especially trained, to pray with you, and they can introduce you to the one who will take your punishment for you. But for those of us this morning who are followers of Jesus, the reassurance is that he has already suffered for what you've done, but you will still need to give an account of your life. You now I was never. Punished for shooting that gun at my dad. I guess my parents felt it was a shock enough. But my parents did bring me to account. I was forced to face the shock and horror of what I'd done. And so, as Christians, the things that we used to do before we knew Jesus are no longer appropriate for us as the sons and daughters of the King. They don't fit with who we are anymore, and God sees it all. Maybe this morning, Maybe this morning is the time to repent, which means to change your thinking and then subsequently your actions. To get right with God once again and to, to, to say to God, look, I'm, I'm sorry for these different things that you've highlighted in my life this morning. And at the end, I want to give you an opportunity to do that, to repent. So that's the bad news I've got for you from this, this story. Just like Haman's situation, God sees everything. But maybe that's enough of the bad news on a sunny Sunday morning like this. The bad news is God sees everything. Let me introduce you to the good news. The bad news is God sees everything. The good news is God sees everything. Um, Perhaps it's a lack of creativity on my part. um, But the observant amongst you will have noticed that there's a striking similarity between my first point and my second point. Um, The reason for this is... If you think about this, not through Haman's eyes, but through Mordecai's eyes, it's a completely different story, isn't it? The same truth that convicts Haman comforts Mordecai. The same truth. Mordecai, you see, was a man of integrity, doing his best to serve God and his people. He's already thwarted one assassination attempt, and he's trying to stop a mass genocide now. He's a good guy. The man's a hero except no one has even noticed. His acts of courage and loyalty have gone totally unrewarded, except God sees. God orchestrates things so that Mordecai is honored and rewarded. He places Mordecai in just the right situation at just the right time. If Mordecai had been rewarded for his thwarting the assassination attempt earlier, then the Jews would actually have been eradicated because the King Xerxes wouldn't have been motivated to make that change. He places us right where he wants us, exactly when he wants us, sometimes on secret assignment, for just the right moment. That's the whole story of Esther. It's true though, not just of Esther, but of each one of us. God puts us where he wants us and calls us to act like children of the king. And he sees what's going on. Not just... In ancient times, but right now here in 21st century Britain. And just to give you a little illustration of that, I've asked a friend of mine, Wendy BC, the lovely Wendy BC to come and share an illustration of where she's found that God's placed her in just the right place at just the right time. So can we invite Wendy up? And let's let's welcome her up as she comes.
1: Oh, last September, I was um, chosen as a, pro- a part of a project at work. i get people into work, quite needed people into work, to um, um, start this project, and it was going to be over the phone and on the internet, so I wasn't going to be seeing people face to face, and I was helping an office that was failing quite badly, and the staff were very demoralised, um, and they were feeling just having So. The training that they gave us because they wanted these people to look good at the end of their year and we were helping them out. They gave us this training which was really formal. Um, It was cut and dried and I really didn't feel comfortable. This was not a good thing to do. Um, The customers, the people that I was dealing with, they hated it. I I hated going to work, I just didn't want to go to work because it was joyless and soulless. So I prayed about it. the reason that I got this job in the first place is that I'm very good at face-to-face with people, and I get good results from where I work, so they would chosen me to do this, but I just couldn't get this from not having face-to-face contact. So I prayed and prayed about it, and God just told me, be yourself, just be who you are. So that's what I did, and I took such a lot of flack from the people that I was working with, you're being too soft, we're not going to achieve, we're not going to do this. And I thought, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to do what God told me to do. So this, sept- um, so it was from September to April, the project ran and we got the results in April. And guess who got most people into work? <laughs> go God, go Wendy. <laughs> so they did the, the um, results and came back and said that me and my part-time hours had got more people into work than anyone in their full time hours wow. not only that i have joy in going to work i have people on my caseload now that are friends and and they're colleagues and they are treasures they're not trash these are these are people these are human beings that i've helped into work wow. so that's my good news story
0: Thanks, Wendy. Don't you just love that? Don't you just love that? That's God's people in action, even sometimes very much behind the scenes. And the truth is that many of us will have made choices of the courage and integrity just like Wendy. And the danger is that we keep on making those choices, acting in a godly way as best we know how, and we think that nobody notices. We think that our best acts... Of service and courage just get overlooked. But this morning, God wants to tell you that He sees everything. He sees all that you do. Some of us, like Wendy, have made those conscious choices of integrity and courage in the workplace, perhaps carrying responsibility in education and government or commerce and healthcare. Or we're running a kingdom business that seeks to employ people and bless them that way. Others of us have made decisions of anonymous financial generosity. Meanwhile, others have spent hours in secret prayer for loved ones or different situations. Some of us here will know what it is to care for a sick relative over the long haul. Others will have raised a child with a long-term illness and know the faithfulness required there. Others will be a bit more, more like Mordecai, where we feel like we've been overlooked in church or in work. Some of us have even suffered injustice, conned out of money or opportunities, inheritances, betrayed by people we love, ridiculed at school or at college because of our Christian faith. You've been wronged at the hands of others. God says to you this morning, I see it all. Every sacrificial choice, every little act of kindness, every decision to love, the Lord sees it all. Ecclesiastes says this, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Mark 6 tells us about three things that we're to do in secret that God will then reward on the day of judgment. I would tell you what they are, but it's a secret. You have to look them up for yourself. Whatever you're doing, God wants to say to you this morning, he sees you. You don't go unnoticed by your father. But as I was preparing, I thought there was one particular group that God just wanted me to take a moment to honor this morning. And it's those who in secret have been making godly relationship choices. For some of us, it's that we've chosen to stay in a marriage that is far from perfect. And for you, it's been a walk of patience and steadfast love with a spouse who's not walking with God. And you've had to remain faithful in really tough circumstances. Or for others of us, It's for those of us who've made the choice not to date or marry someone who doesn't share your faith. Perhaps once there was someone who was interested in you at some point, but you knew that marrying them would compromise your walk with Jesus. So you've chosen to remain single rather than compromise. And that's been a costly decision for you. Maybe you'd have loved to have had a spouse and a family one day, but you have chosen the narrow path. This morning, God wants you to know that he sees everything. Isaiah 49 says this, I said I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength and for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is in the Lord's hand and my reward is with my God. Psalm 56, I love this little verse and this is is for you if if you're in that category of having been faithful through godly relationship choices. Psalm 56, verse 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God sees everything and he will honour the secret choices you made for him. Let me try and illustrate it for you to bring things to a close. Um, I would say that my grandfather helped win the Second World War. Um, He served on an aircraft carrier, escorting convoys, uh, both in the Atlantic and uh, then in the Pacific as well. He served on an aircraft carrier just like this one on the screen behind me. And that all sounds very exciting, Uh, except my grandfather wasn't a fighter pilot or anything like that. Uh, He actually ran the laundry on board the ship. Um, Not very glamorous, but I would say that my grandfather, my grandpa fought for the freedom that I now enjoy by running the laundry on an aircraft carrier. He fought the war by washing clothes, and uniforms, and bedding. But I'm going to say to you this morning, it all counts. His service helped pay for my freedom. But also, the thing is, there's another side to my grandpa that you ought to know about. You know, the military put him on an aircraft carrier for a reason, and he was actually seconded to the Americans for the war in the Pacific. The reason being that my grandfather was a Bisley National Rifle Association champion. So that meant that when the ship was attacked, as it often was in the Pacific, he was trained to operate an anti-aircraft gun. He was one of the best marksmen in the country. He would help keep the ship running just on a day-to-day basis, but he was a safe pair of hands in a situation of danger. Most of the time, 99% of the time, my grandfather was in the laundry room, deep in the bowels of the ship, washing clothes in a hot, cramped room. But every now and then, in a moment of crisis, he was one of a handful of highly skilled men on whom hundreds of sailors and the mission itself, lives, depend. The thing is, the reason I tell you that story is that we need as Christians to reach the point where we're willing to serve wherever we're put. We're willing to serve wherever God puts us. We may spend our whole lives in the laundry room, or we may spend our whole lives on deck prominent and glamorous, but either way, the pay is the same. God sees you whether you're on the deck being the hero or you're in the bowels of the laundry room serving your socks off. God sees every single act of kindness and service, whether it's in the public eye or in total obscurity. And you know, when we get to heaven, some of the people that stand on platforms now won't actually be the ones in the public eye then. God will call people. From like missionaries and people who've served in in secret, faithful service, he will call them out into positions of prominence. And he wants to encourage you this morning that there will come a day where what you've done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. So he wants to say to you, keep going. Your father sees everything. And he has great reward for you.